Hey, it's me. This is the Paul Leslie Hour, and this is the ongoing series within the show, It's Still Billy Joel to Me, where we review all of the studio albums of singer-songwriter-pianist Billy Joel in chronological order. This time, it's Still Billy Joel to Me, Volume 3, Street Life Serenade. This is the third installment, but after a while and a thousand miles, it all becomes the same. I'd like to introduce my co-reviewer, Jason Burge. He's reviewed more than 100 albums and counting. He's also a classically trained pianist. And this is a man who once remarked that food is simply a delivery mechanism for sauce. He loves (laughs) sauce. So welcome back yet again, Jason Burge. Oh, thanks so much, Paul. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. So we're going to be delving into the album Street Life Serenade. Street Life Serenade was produced by Michael Stewart. He was brought back yet again. This was recorded and released in 1974, the follow-up to the acclaimed Piano Man album. Ten tracks, eight songs, and two instrumental pieces. So let's dive right into it. I think that, in my opinion anyways, there seemed to be an overall shift in the mood. I mean, even when you pick up the album, the cover is a stark difference from the previous two albums. This one is bright and colorful. The last two were black and white. Do you see this as Billy opening the proverbial blinds in the room of his life? What do you think this album, Street Life Serenade, seems to indicate has changed with Billy Joel? Yeah, you know, I I think it's kind of important to open this up with, in an interview Billy said of this album, I had been on the road playing in theaters and clubs and opening up for other acts. I opened up for the Beach Boys during that time, and I didn't have a lot of time to write new material, but there was a lot of pressure to put out a new album after Piano Man, and I just didn't have a lot of stuff. There's even two instrumentals. (laughs) So I think, yeah, I think it is brighter. I think it represents more happiness in his life. He's a a real rolling stone at this point in his career. He's touring with the Beach Boys now, who are one of the biggest acts in the world at the time. Uh, This is his hard work paying off. He's happy, but he's exhausted. He's grinding and wrung out, but he sees his ship coming in, and he has a young man's restlessness and momentum. He doesn't need to sleep, and he won't say no to anything. So, if But now if you look at the back cover of the album he's looking rough and a little pissed and he and he had just had his wisdom teeth out like i think two days before the shoot he was still in a lot of pain uh but he wasn't going to stop working and he's on a runner's high here and you know the endorphins are real even if they can't last forever (laughs) yeah i mean obviously this is your your thought i mean what what was your opinion of of the overall mood Well, at the time of Street Life Serenade, he was living in California, so I think he was trying to open himself up to the world of show business. He was kind of seeing that this is a business. I've heard so many people say again and again, remember, this is the music business. (laughs) You know, I've heard that so many times. So this was him, I think, maybe opening his mind up to being more commercial being a so-called Hollywood guy. However, as you mentioned, there's that back cover picture of the back of the album. I think the only thing worse than being morose is being morose and pretending not to be. (laughs) So maybe he sees on the outside that there is success around him, that there is success about, 
but I don't know if he believes it. And that's interesting, given that the entertainer is really the centerpiece of this album and probably the one that most fans are most familiar with. You know, he hasn't sold a lot of records at this point. And so the hero of this song, the entertainer, is is really more a version of himself that didn't exist yet, though it would, you know, with his next album and shortly thereafter. But do you think that Billy believed that he would become this character? And or does the song sound different when viewed from the beginning of his career forward rather than retrospectively? Well, I know that Billy has made it a point to say that he was not the character in The Entertainer. One part that is autobiographical is the thing about the beautiful song that ran too long and how they cut it down to 305. That was Piano Man. It was such a long song. And they cut it down so that it would get the radio airplay, that it would be more radio friendly. I think at this point in his life, this was more than anything his view of the entertainment industry. As much as it's romanticized, it is a business. And then at the end of the day, you become kind of a walking, living product. You got to meet expenses, as he says in the song. And I, I think he certainly knew at this point that he was an entertainer. Maybe more that he had to be an entertainer. But my instinct is that he didn't see himself becoming a big star. In fact, if you look at the song as a part of the album, when you look at it in the confines as a whole, I always saw it more as being braggadocious. But as a part of the, the album as a whole, I see it more as cynical than anything. I see it as more of an artist lamenting the fact that people don't see this other side of the music business. I know he also said that <laughs> he said that it pained him to think about singing in front of a bunch of guys who, you know, work in a factory or a steel mill about how hard his life would be traveling around the country as he said laying all kinds of girls. He felt like a little bit guilty like oh gosh does this sound like i'm complaining <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting you know it's this is the first record where he starts bringing out synthesizer and sometimes the synthesizer is distracting but it's kind of perfect in this song it gives this sort of carnival flair to it all um, because it's kind of like you said really about the chintziest side of the industry the record labels control the fickle crowds the greedy sycophants and the sort of ephemeral nature of fame even before he had it so i mean it all works perfectly in in this context i agree and i love this song i always have yeah me too do you think that Street Life Serenade is a better album than Piano Man? What do you think about the album as a whole? Uh, you know, it, it feels a little rushed, and it really only shows a glimmer of what he's capable of, so I don't think so. Piano Man, for all its eccentricities, was, I think, at least more or less the album Billy wanted to make. I think he would have rather shelved this one to when he had more time to focus on it, uh, which means it was bit uh, made under a bit of duress and so really can't be critically evaluated in the same way as his other albums. You can't tour relentlessly and record at the same time, especially when you still need the money. And I just think the album suffers a little bit from that, even though there's some very good songs on it. But what was your take on it? Well, whether I think it's a better album than Piano Man, no, I don't believe so. You could look at these first three albums as kind of like a trilogy, 
Some people don't count that first one, Cold Spring Harbor. They don't even count it. But I think that of the first three albums, the very first one is actually the best one. <laughs> you know, I think... I that, agree. Yeah. that It's, it's interesting. I, I think it's... This one, though, it's impressive when you consider that it was hurried along. It has, as you said, it, it almost, to me, it feels like it has a bit of an unfinished quality to it. I do like the return of the instrumental pieces. I, I actually like, I think some people look at those as like they were just thrown on. I like them. But, you know, on the plus side, I would say Street Life Serenade, it did help him further develop his sound. He found out maybe through trial and error, maybe this one had more error in it. But I think it maybe helped him in some way. It maybe was a learning experience for him. But no, it was not a better album than Piano Man, nor Cold Spring Harbor. You know, and it's, I think that raises an interesting question. You know, he doesn't release this record without pressure from his label. If you, you know, really, he just wanted to, you know, be traveling and, and playing good shows. And, you know, so he does it anyway, you know, and that risk has killed other artists, you know, putting out something too soon. And, you know, the critics did not love this album, but it, it didn't really hurt his career because he was really just about to break out. Uh, but is it better to keep pressure off the artist, which means that we don't get this album? Or do we drive, I mean, is it better to drive them into making something rushed? Because that way we still at least get the entertainer. That's a very interesting question. I think there's a real balance here in terms of productivity and putting out something you're proud of and trying to get it as good as you can get it. I actually think, and this is not based on Billy Joel, it's just my observation of artists in general, recording artists. I think that perfectionism has hurt more artists than deadlines. I'll say this as a caveat. Well, especially for a time period like the 70s when artists made money from the records. This was a the record business. So it was perhaps more important to keep creating. You also had the pressure of the label. I remember David Lee Roth telling me when I did an interview at his house that songwriting and the record business, it's not like riding a bicycle. It's like riding an Olympic cycling bicycle. So in other words, it's not something you just, oh, I'll pick this up in a few years. you got to keep working at it. I think that Billy Joel's average has been during his recording years. It was about once every other year. This came out like right after Piano Man. I do think Street Life Serenade was too rushed, but perhaps, like I said, maybe he learned some things. Maybe he learned to stand up for himself as a recording artist, to put his foot down if they were wanting something like this. Come on, Billy, we need product. So I think the album has a right to exist. I don't find it irredeemable, but I know that this like his first album, is not something that he's overly proud of. What What did you think? You know, it's there's so much good music on it. You know, it's so easy to compare a record like this to some of his, you know, bigger releases and pick on it. But there's still a few, a handful of great songs on this. So, you know, it's certainly, like you said, has a right to exist. And I don't think it slowed him down or since obviously he just kept moving. The momentum's important. I, I think that, I, I think that's accurate. Well, as you mentioned, there's 
some good songs on this album. So aside from The Entertainer, is there any song that you think is impressive in particular on a Street Life Serenade? You know, Souvenir is very pretty and very compact. It's two minutes long, and that's that's rare. It doesn't meander around the way some of the other songs do on this album. It does what it means to do, and it is perfectly envisioned. It's not surprising he was ending shows with it at this time, because its wistfulness thematically sort of ties some of these ideas back into his first two albums. But Roberta really stands out to me as the most nuanced song here. Uh, it seems to be about someone who he has a transactional engagement with. Whether it's the more lurid side of that equation or something more innocent is not perfectly clear, as he's using some double entendre here to leave a little mystery. I think it's the most like his best song stylistically. He's telling a story about a complicated relationship that's filled equally with joy, longing, and frustration, which I think is the triumvirate of Billy greatness. So that was definitely my favorite and the one that I, I saved to keep listening to for the future. Did you have any particular thoughts on Roberta? Because that was the one I just kept listening to over and over to unlock it. Yeah, I like that song. I think it's a good one. And I see it as more, yes, this woman was a prostitute. And, you know, he he sees something in her. He wants the thing that you can't buy with money. He he wants that. And so, yes, I, I think Roberta is one of the more impressive songs. And then, like you mentioned, Souvenir. Again, there's this really strong realization in Souvenir that time is unstoppable. As he says, every year is a souvenir that slowly fades away. Absolutely. And you had mentioned that you liked the instrumentals. So I, I thought the instrument, I thought, you know, root beer rag was, was so interesting. You know, he throws in some little, little throwback, some list, a Hungarian Rhapsody in there. So he's really, you know, showing off with this. And then you get to the Mexican connection, and I, I like it, don't get me wrong, but I think it kind of sounds like equal parts, 70s television theme song, and then a vaguely racist Disney soundtrack based on what Canadians thought Mexico sounded like in 1974. Is it more one than the other? Is it Mexican? Is it a connection? <laughs> what, what is up with this song? <laughs> okay, well... I I don't get the Disney soundtrack thing at all. In, in fact, it does little to make me think of Mexico. If it wasn't called Mexican Connection, if it was called Sag Harbor Connection, I still wouldn't think anything about, is there a mariachi or a Tejano influence in this? I happen to like Mexican Connection. As I go along in life, Instrumental music is becoming more and more important to me. I found the Sirius XM Escape channel, which is just all instrumental. When I found that channel, I was listening to nothing but that for a week. However, you mentioned the 70s television theme song. I do very much see the 70s <laughs> theme song thing. In fact, it reminded me of like an 80s PBS educational program, late 70s, early 80s, or maybe something that they showed school kids year after year after year on VHS tape. When you're finished watching it, it's like an hour-long thing. This is the music that appears as the text is scrolling on the screen in that kind of 70s font 
which groups contributed to make this program special, where the grant money came from. That was what, <laughs> that's what I felt. And I mean that in the absolute highest way. <laughs> I actually ran a poll. I don't know if you remember this, but I ran a poll on Facebook about the two songs, the instrumental tunes on Street Life Serenade. I asked, do you like Root Beer Ragmore or do you like the Mexican Connection? Root Beer Rag was the clear victory. I mean, it, it wasn't even a contest. Uh, <laughs> everybody seemed to like that one. Which one did you like more? I think I like Mexican Connection better simply because I find ragtime coupled with classical music distracting and fascinating more than highly listenable. Whereas the Mexican connection made me think all these different things. And I think I looked up and listened to the theme song of St. Elsewhere and a couple other ones because I was like, is this what it's making me think of? <laughs> no, that's almost 10 years later. But I, I, I thought it was fascinating. But, you know, tying back through some of the ideas that run through this album, he and I guess this is where I think that we're kind of connecting back through to some of the points of uh, that maybe he's he's running, but he can't completely run away from his own existential crises. He's always obsessed with time and existential value. And in a song like Last of the Big Time Spenders, he's writing a very country-inspired song that on the surface isn't really what it appears. Uh, the complexity here is that time is a currency. And the more you think about it, the more opaque the message becomes because it's layered and couched in irony. But country songs, as a rule, are simple or simpler. Does this fail as a country song? Because you have to listen to it five times to get the point. Well, I think in many cases, a great song can translate into many different genres. For example, a lot of people don't know that the Tony Bennett song, Cold Cold Heart, was actually written by Hank Williams. I will say, I find it really hard to review Billy Joel because most of the things that he's released, I feel that the quality is so very high. Of course. <laughs> and so maybe if another artist had released this album, I would be even more enthusiastic about it. But because he made the benchmark so high, <laughs> it's, it's like maybe even Billy is a little bit harsher when he reviews this album. But... This song in particular, the one you mentioned, I listened to it a couple times and I didn't get the country-inspired thing at first, and then I could kind of see it. And I, I thought, okay, I can, I, I can understand that. I can see where, that, where you would see that. But there's something about this song that, to me, it just seems kind of half-cooked. That's, that's my opinion. As a lot of people know, this album was something that they were trying to capitalize on the success of The Piano Man. Do I think it fails as a country song? I think it misses Billy's quality standards as any kind of song, to be frank. It's not a bad song. It's mediocre, which I think is worse. I understand. And I think that what maybe what I was picking up on was less that it's half-baked, but that it's two different songs sort of stitched together. Uh. Thematically, I don't think that the country twang and the slide guitar works with this concept of using time as a value to spend. That's an interesting idea, but when it's when it's played out in this type of song, it kind of gets lost. And I think that's maybe you know where it's it feels 
half-baked. I can see that. I can see that. I think it was maybe one of these things, if he would have worked on it more, maybe if he had more time, it had potential to be a great song. We were talking about these different instrumental songs, and it's interesting to me, I've heard so many people talk about what a great songwriter Billy Joel is, and I think that's almost indisputable, but it's really hard to say, and I want to get your perspective. We have a couple instrumental songs on this album, but do you think that Billy Joel is a better lyricist or a better melodist? That's <laughs> such a difficult question. Yes, sir. And almost impossible to answer, as he's as good as any modern singer-songwriter is at both. His musical talent surpasses that of most songwriters, and that gives him an advantage in song composition. I mean, there are more effective key changes and progressions in any single Billy Joel album than most pop artists try in a career. And he's a master of using music to move the listener emotionally. But at the end of the day, Angry Young Man is still as great of a song, even without Billy humbling every other piano player in the business with Prelude. I think that how he writes lyrics, and by that I mean the most personal and deeply moving songs in his catalog, transcends melody on balance, because it always seems to me that his words are more raw and less polished than his music, no matter how elegantly they're expressed, because words are more difficult to wield than notes. A perfect encapsulation of an emotion is harder to achieve than a perfect melody, in my opinion. And the problem is that you know too much precision in lyric writing can have diminishing returns and alienating the listener. He walks this impossible line between earnestness and relatability. His ability to remain thoughtful and interesting while handling very naked emotion, especially sadness and loneliness, is incomparable. He writes about being human better than anyone, and he's willing to do it in a way that surrenders all defense, pretense, and any sense of coolness about it, which, let's be honest, most rock stars just won't do. He's telling his own truth, and very few songwriters can get away with that while remaining almost universally poignant and accessible. So I'm not saying that he's necessarily a better lyricist than a musician, but I'd say he's a more important lyricist, which I think is well illustrated on Street Life Serenade. He was strapped for time, and he could still write a crazy ragtime instrumental all spiced up with classical flourishes in his sleep, but by his own admission, he, he didn't have the bandwidth to write the lyrics. Melody is easier and more natural for him. And I think he can do it like breathing. But his most complex musical arrangements mostly pale by comparison to something naked and unfrilly-like, and so it goes. When he writes lyrics that powerful, I think he has to be emotionally present and possibly compromised. And he has less access to that part of himself, which means, I think, that lyrics are rarer and more precious gem in his mind. And if you told me that Billy had written an hour's worth of new melodies and also an hour's worth of new lyrical prose, such as stories about life and love and loneliness, and that he would perform them each only once and I could only attend one, I would choose the latter any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Interesting. Wow. Well, I have to agree with you on this. I do think it's pretty obvious that melody is really what comes natural to him. I remember talking to this songwriter, and they were saying, oh, it's so clear that with Billy Joel, his strength is, is, is his lyrics. And I didn't, I wasn't sure how I felt about that. It really caused me to think. I kind of lost track of what he was saying for a second because I was going through it in my head. And I would say, 
he's one of the few songwriters in American music, period, that makes it that difficult to really judge the answer. There's Irving Berlin. There's Paul Simon. He is very, very talented at both. If I had to pick whether he was a better lyricist or a better composer of melody, I would say melodies. I think his melodies are really, really exceptional. There's not many people who, especially in popular music, who writes a melody like Billy Joel. And I, I, I like the instrumental songs on this album, so that may be... And as I said, melody becomes more and more and more important to me as time goes on. All of this is said without forgetting that he's also written some of the most powerful lyrics ever. But like you said, I think it takes him a lot longer, and perhaps in his mind, the lyrics, because of that, are more precious to him. And he's a genius at both, so it, yeah. it, it must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Jason, thank you so much for getting on here again to review some Billy Joel. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. So, folks, you'll have to tune in next month. It's going to be Volume 4. We're going to be co-reviewing Turnstiles, the fourth Billy Joel studio album, recorded and released in 1976. This time, Billy Joel self-produces. Full disclosure, I've always said this is my favorite Billy Joel album. I'll just let you all know that in advance. But we will see you then. <laughs>